Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online, brought to you by Gulliver's Sports Travel. My name's Matt Southcombe and this afternoon I'm joined by rugby writer Simon Thomas. Good afternoon, Si. Good afternoon. It's a new location for me for the Six Nations launch because for year after year after year I went to the very plush, posh surroundings of the Hurlingham Club. But um, this year it's uh, a different location, Sion Park Hilton, um, which was where the uh, Lions were holding their events last year. I think uh, Warren Gatland and uh, various other people sort of looked upon this place and thought, yeah, it'd be good to have uh, this as a, as a venue. And uh, the Six Nations have clearly agreed, and this is where we've been at. So, uh, yeah, smaller rooms, yeah. a bit claustrophobic, a bit hot, a bit warm mat. But uh, same kind of process. We've spoken to everybody. We've heard all they've got to say. Lots of different interesting lines. Yeah, so we're at the uh, Six Nations launch in London. Uh, we're sat in the reception area of the hotel, so if you hear things going past or doors banging, etc., just shows that we're on location. Uh, site New Year, new sponsor, but without sounding too corporate, it's the same old Six Nations Championship. It's a great time of year. It is how many PR people does it uh, get to change a, a pair of coaches on a top table? It was quite a few of them. Um, yeah, for people who haven't been here before, basically there's lots of different rooms. There'd be uh, a room for the TV broadcasters, radio, um, print journalists, online reporters in this new uh, online age. And uh, the coaches and the captains of the respective teams are shuttled around those different rooms. And you kind of choose where to go. So I tend to sit in both on the uh, the print daily newspaper um, room and the online room. And it's obviously interesting because you see them and they've obviously gone through the same kind of questions and same kind of answers mm. and uh, by, the, by their final rotation they can be a little bit weary but uh, <laughs> yeah, once you piece it all together there's a lot of in- interesting information and uh, yeah it's amazing I think it's only next week isn't it? Yeah exactly the Six Nations obviously kicks off next week uh, we are the Welsh Rugby Podcast so we'll kick off with Wales today um, the big news and the big lines coming out is about Liam Williams' injury uh, looking increasingly like he's going to be ruled out of a lot of this championship at least um, it's a big loss for Wales yeah I've been sort of doing a bit of digging and talking to various people about it today there's disappointment there's a sense of frustration as well because I, I think Wales is a preference um, their view if it had been under, down to them that Liam who suffered an abdominal uh, injury in that game against Georgia in November I think they would have ideally liked him to have a surgery at that point to rectify it he'd been back after about six weeks and he'd be fit for the six stations now his club Saracens opted to go down the rehab route he did return earlier this month um, in the drawn match against the Ospreys but then he's had a bit of a flare up since then it's felt so and tightened up he had to pull out of the last weekend's game against Northampton and we now seem to be back with square one where they're saying he may well have to undergo surgery Wales are going to look to extensively rehab him over the next two weeks to see if they can possibly get him ready maybe for that second game against England if that doesn't work it's under the knife and that'll be it for the tournament mm. and that is a blow we've obviously talked about we've lost Daniel Bigger now for the first three rounds yeah. without Jonathan Davis for the entire tournament as well uh, Hallam Mamos is still sidelined who was an autumn starter on the wing so they are missing quite a few sort of key men in that back division but it obviously does create opportunities and uh, it's fascinating to see what they go for at 10 and in the back three so just focusing on that back three slightly, oh dear. what's what's your preference to, to oh to it's not up to me Matthew it's not <laughs> I'm, I'm put, do you know what it's my job to put you on the spot do in these podcasts what? I mean I think I would be quite pleased to see a, a setup where you possibly had 
Gareth Anscombe and Williams at 10, both fine players, with Reese Patchell at 15. I, you know, I've banged on about Reese Patchell at a fullback for years, I'm nice to be honest. And in the last two weeks, you know, he's been outstanding there. He's done a great job at 10 for the Scarlets as well. And if Wales were to play him at 10, I'd have no qualms about it. But, but I think having that, having two playmakers, 10, 15, you could even go whole hog more, couldn't you? You could go Anscombe 10, Owen Williams 12, uh, Reese Patchell 15. Now, that would be bold. Mm. But let me tell you, let me tell you, having sat in on Warren Gatlin's various interviews today, I don't think there's much likelihood of Patchell being at fullback or Anscombe at fullback for that matter. I asked him, you know, I think that he will want to go for, especially with Dan Bigger out now, goal kicking is crucial, isn't it? We, we accept this, goal kicking is crucial, and you do have a world class goal kicker in Lee Halfpenny. People obviously have talked about the fact that he's not maybe acting, adding so much in an attacking sense as some other players, but I think they will go for him there. And if that's the case, then what you will end up with is a choice between three players 10, Reese Patchell, Gareth Anscombe, and Owen Williams. None of them have ever started a Six Nations match. Mm. Welcome to the world, boys, of the championship. Yeah, so on that fly-off position, um, obviously Dan Bigger is missing uh, for a few weeks at, at the very and least. Priestland, yes, and obviously Reese yeah. Priestland's hamstring uh, has ruled him out as well. Uh, let's listen to see what Warren Gatlin's had to say today um, on the fly-half situation. Yeah, the fl- I think well, we've got three options: Owen Williams and, and Gareth Enscombe and Reese Patchell at, at, at the moment, um, mm. and. I think from an uh, attacking perspective, it's it's pretty exciting in terms of which way we d- decide to go. Uh, Owen has a little bit of a disadvantage because he had to go back to Gloucester, um, so he's not with us in terms of full preparation and won't be with us um, in the fellow weeks as well. So those English-based players do have a, a disadvantage to the Welsh-based players in terms of, of preparation, particularly in, in key positions and particularly if you're not quite as experienced as... Um, as some other players in your position so I think the exciting thing is that we're going to pick a player who, who hasn't started in that position in the Six Nations and you know someone like Dan Bigger who's been a constant for us in, in recent seasons um, opposition teams know him pretty well they know you know his, his strengths and, and, and the way he plays and that and so we're potentially going to have a fly half playing for us who the opposition team are not going to know a huge amount about, um, which is going to be pretty exciting, exciting for us and exciting for um, uh, giving them a different sort of attacking focus and, and the way we're going to play. So, so interesting from Gatland there, it sounds as if uh, Owen Williams obviously being at Gloucester yes. still is going to uh, count against him. It's that old chestnut, isn't it? Because just for people to understand it... Um, players based in Wales Wales have access to them from the time they join camp right through to the end they don't have to be released at all that's the agreement with the Welsh Rugby Union and the regions but when it comes to players based outside Wales which is now basically in England uh, they have to go back to their clubs at various periods so they'll be going back for this weekend and in those fallow weeks when there aren't Six Nations games they'll go back to their clubs again which obviously isn't ideal in terms of preparation now, especially when it's like you're talking about a key position 10 and also a player who has never played there before not much experience there it's not going to be ideal for him to be away so you listen to that today and I agree with you I think it's more edging towards Patchell or Anscombe which is a big decision um, they're both talented footballers uh, what do they got? Manscom is quite a controlling player at ten. We've seen what Patchell can do in an attacking sense. 
Yeah, I'd be happy with either of them there. Um, and what is good, I suppose, is you look at it, we've lost Bigger, we've lost Priestland, Owen Williams is an issue across the availability, and you've still got two quality players there. So, hey, listen, and the other point Gatlin has made is that for years and years, people have sort of seen Bigger, who's done a great job for Wales, but they kind of know what he's going to play, how he's going to play his game plan. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have a 10 there they might not be so au fait with. It can work, it can't work. We'll wait and see. Uh, the players and coaches were regularly asked uh, in the online room today uh, for their players to watch in this championship. Um, when Wales came in, they both named players from the Welsh squad. Uh, let's have a listen to what they had to say. First, Warren Gatland, and second, uh, Alan Wynne Jones. In terms of, you know, I think we've, I like to think we've got a couple of exciting guys and, uh, in the squad for us. You know, as a player, he may get an opportunity, someone like James Davis, you know, he's had experience with. GB and, and winning an Olympic silver medal. He's um, been involved with the Sevens. He had a couple of great seasons for the Scarlets, and and he, you know, he's an exciting player. And then we've got someone like Josh Adams, who's been you know been involved with Welsh uh, underage teams and been doing really well for for Worcester. And, and he may get an opportunity to to do well. You know, and so those are two players that Alan Wins highlighted earlier on. So um, sort of following on on from his lead. Um, I think we talk breakthrough. You always think of people that are uncapped, but I think um, you look at Rhys Patchell, particularly the, the, the games that he's played of late, at 15 for the Scarlets, and the way he's been kicking and steering from the back. Um, it was interesting to see if he gets a bit more game time in, in, in red of, of Wales, um, what impact he could have, because he's, he's had his uh, injury issues in a couple of appearances, but it would be quite interesting to see the effect um, and the positive effect he could have on us. So it's interesting to hear Warren Gatland pick out James Davis, a player who for for a few years now many have perceived to be out of favour with the Wales camp for various off-field reasons. He's got his call-up and now if he gets his chance, Warren Gatland, as we'll come on to later, one of his Scarlet's teammates is tipping him to be one of the players to watch in the championship. Yeah, I think you've got that clip as well. I mean, yeah, James has been the name on a few people's lips today, isn't he? And he's certainly been the name on the name of a lot of Welsh fans, and particularly Scarlet's fans' lips over the last two or three years. We've all seen what he can do. You know, I think looking at it realistically, if he hadn't had a shoulder injury, wasn't it in the autumn? I think he may well have played, opened the door for Navidi, and he did fantastically well. Uh, James has just been one of the standout players in Welsh rugby he's one of the reasons I still enjoy doing the job after 30 odd years Matthew <laughs> he's got a, he puts a smile on everyone's face he's a great character I was talking to uh, the Wales team manager Alan Phillips today about you team about a character James has been coming into the squad you know and he is and he, he's a like really likeable character isn't he and um Listen, the only thing is he finds himself in a very, very competitive position because you have got four quality open sides in this squad in Josh Navidi, Justin Tipperary, Gareth Jenkins and James Davis. Now, that means that it's going to be a question... I mean, the big question is, will he get an opportunity? I think there's a general agreement that if he does get an opportunity, he could do some very special things. Yeah. But will he get one? Yeah. It's a big, big challenge, but at least he's in the squad. At least people are talking about him. And, uh, yeah, I tell you what, if he does get a chance... He's, he, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be backward in coming forward trying to take it, would he? <laughs> uh, just in a general sense, then seems like a good time to kind of take stock and and look at things as a whole. How do you rate Wales's chances in this championship? I know the bookies have got them out to fifteen to one in some places. Those are quite long odds on Wales. And as Warren Gatland pointed out last week, that's a good bet. Warren Gatland thinks they're going to win. Yeah. I don't know. He thinks they're going to win the tournament. He's, they, you know, he's bullish and all that, but he really believes they've got an opportunity. They've got three home games. 
you know, which is always a great starting point. They've got a home game to start. If you win that, you then go against Scotland. If you win that opening game, then you go to Twickenham full of confidence against an England team that is missing players. Uh, I think what they've got, uh, which you always need, starting point, they've got a good front five now, good strong front five. The Scarlets trio of Samson Lee, Ken Owens and Rob Evans going really well and we've got good strength in those positions. Um, we could have a really big second row with Alan Jones and Bradley Davis. That's a big platform there. And if you've got that, that gives you the ability to pay a faster back row. And we could well have a situation. We talked about all those open sides. Let's remember that Tulipa Faletau is out for the first three rounds. Ross Moriarty still trying to play catch-up. He's had very little rugby this season, maybe slightly off the pace. So for the first game, you could well see them go in a situation where they go Josh Navidi at eight and one of those other three open sides, maybe Tipperick starting, even with James Davis on the bench, you know, with Shingler at six, there's some athletic and pace there that to me looks a really sort of good good balanced pack you know which can do a couple of different things I suppose the issue is as we touched on there are key experienced absentees from that back division you lose Dan Bigger Jonathan Davis and Liam Williams that's three Lions three exceptional players how they'll cope in the absence of those but when opportunity comes it's, it's the chance for people to knock down the door and make the most of it Okay, and the first opportunity will be against Scotland in Cardiff on February the 3rd. Um, let's have a listen to what Gregor Townsend, Scotland head coach, had to say about Wales earlier today. A really good game. That's your classic Six Nations game for us, playing, um, playing a, a big rival away from home. We'll have lots of supporters go, going down, maybe not as many as the Welsh supporters that come up to Edinburgh every year, every second year, but uh, it'll be a great atmosphere, one of the best venues to play at, uh, the Principality. Wales have always had, in my opinion, the best defence over the last few years. Uh, well organised, um, aggressive, big men that like to tackle. I know they're the best, or they were up there with the best tackle stats in November, so they've still got that. They're now passing the ball more than any other team uh, in world rugby based on November stats. So it should be an exciting game. An excellent defence, experienced players uh, that are playing well, especially the guys that are playing the Scarlets. And, a, and an evolving attack that's looking to, to ask more questions of the defence. So, Sai, do you, do you fear Scotland, with, especially with Stuart Hogg coming back to full fitness now? Oh, well, you really have to look what they did against Australia. That, if we did that, we'd be having open-top bus tours. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest about it. They score eight tries against them, something absolutely ludicrous like that. I mean, the way they play is fantastic. You know, Vern Cotter's done a lot, and Jonathan Humphreys together, they did a lot of development, bringing Scotland up from being, you know, a bit of a joke team. And remember when they came to Wales and we lost by 50 points against us? Not that long ago, is it? Three or four years. Yeah. They've really turned the corner into Cotter and Humphreys. And now Gregor Townsend is coming in. John Barkley was talking today, wasn't he? But it took a little bit of time to get used to it. And they're now moving towards more of the kind of style of play that uh, Townsend advocated with Glasgow. Fast, furious, quick, balling hand attacking from everywhere I mean, I mean Glasgow haven't had the, the greatest European campaign but we saw again in the weekend a couple of tries they scored against Exeter wasn't it you know and that's the template that was set in place for Townsend we saw that template in the autumn played some lovely rugby for years and you know Scotland couldn't buy a try now they're coming out their years so we know one thing they're going to look to play rugby what they do have as an issue and which Wales will be very very aware of they have major front row problems they're without I think six or seven front rowers they're really down to their bare bones there and I think Wales will 
certainly look to target that scrum and look to get on top up front and the idea of that I suppose is you then starve uh, their very very exciting and very attacking backline with the likes of Hogg you know, the likes of Hugh Jones um, Seymour on the wing and Finn Russell I think could be a real big player in this tournament I like Finn Russell and he's getting better and better as a player yeah so I, I, I think that that could be a, a really interesting one uh, that, and whoever wins that game will go in with real momentum to the rest of the tournament are they going to fancy themselves because oh, yes. now that they've got nothing oh, yes. after after toppling Wales last year there's no reason to fear Wales from their point of view is there no I think they're quite a settled setup as well I think Barkley's a great captain sets a real tone there what a player he's been for the Scarlets for the last few years I like Hamish Watson as seven as well he gave Wales all kinds of problems up in Murrayfield last year uh, interesting to see what they do at nine Ali Price and late lost their experience yeah but I think they'll have a lot of confidence a huge amount of confidence out of that autumn and in fact they beat Wales before they'll come to Cardiff with no fears as I say a lot of it though it all starts up front and uh, that is the area where Wales surely will target and look as well and let's see how they play with the ball Wales mm. okay, you touched on it there John Barkley obviously Scotland captain now let's have a listen to what he had to say about a little bit of banter with his Scarlet's teammates and in particular James Davis um, yeah, look, I said to my dad, text him last night, I actually just asked him how it's going, see if I get some insight into, <laughs> into camp. Um, oh, I just said to him, uh, when he got called up, uh, like everyone was really happy for him, really chuffed for him, he's a popular member of our, of our team down there, um, and I, I hope he gets a game. I don't necessarily hope that's against us, because I know how good a player he is. Um, but yeah, look, I think, um, yeah, that's one of the great things about rugby, is being able to play against against some of my mates um, last year was great for me uh, personally it was my first game as captain and to, to get one over on, on some of my mates and, and to get that win which is a, which is a massive game for us so um, yeah look, they'll, they'll, I imagine they'll be pretty annoyed about last year's game and about the championship last year where they finished so like Gregor says it'll be, it'll be a very big challenge going into the first game of the Six Nations down at the Principality I think as you mentioned si, that, you touched on it being a very settled camp the, the pair of them today seemed very comfortable in front of the press. It was one of the more jovial press conferences. Is a happy camp always a winning camp, or is it at least a good start? I don't know. Wales can be quite grim and win, can't they? <laughs> 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 they don't always have too many chuckles, even when they win, let's be honest about it. Uh, but they do seem at ease with each other. Um, Townsend's, I, I, I haven't really seen Townsend at too many press conferences before. I've yeah. just realised this over the years, and like, he's very much at ease, a man at ease with himself, isn't he? And you know, he was like coming in and adding to points that were Barkley was making. He just speaks really well, and you can imagine, like, he's an intelligent man. You can see that comes across, and the way he, he puts things across to his players, you know. And uh, yeah, I think they're very much at ease with themselves, and. Uh, it was interesting, though, to hear Barkley talk about James Davis and the way he did, you know, because he was asked, you know, who do you think going to be the standout player out of the entire championship? And he's picked the bloke who's uncapped and it might be fourth choice open side. That shows you how much faith he's got in him. Um, and if you, I'd opened a few eyes in that room, didn't I, when his name, was, his name was mentioned. And I did say to Andy Berger, the BBC, thank you for that question. That's going to be a lovely line, that is. <laughs> Uh, just finally then, before we move on, I want to run this clip from uh, Townsend again today at his press conference. He, made, he had a bit of an interesting trip uh, since the autumn. He's been to visit Manchester City and spent a little bit of time with Pep Guardiola, uh, of all people. And here's what he had to say about that little uh, insight. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, I had two days there. I had the day for the match experience and then a day for the training experience um, and got to speak to Pep. So that was, that was inspiring. Hearing from a coach and seeing a coach that's so passionate about the the coaching, um, 
probably the most successful coach in the game just now. So that was great just to have those moments and um, and get a connection with him. You always pick up um, things that you could use specifically when you visit an organisation, um, a sporting organisation that's very successful. And it could be the, the flow of the, the facility, what they're doing in training. Um, there were definitely um, transferable messages that he likes to give to his players about off-the-ball effort, which are very important for, for us as a rugby Okay, then, so moving on. Um, we come to England next. Uh, we go to Twickenham, second game of the Championship. Uh, Eddie Jones, it's been a common theme today, uh, particularly in the England press conferences, about injuries and player welfare. Um, lots been made of how much the Lions, the English-based Lions players have played since the tour. Um, before we get into it, here's what Eddie Jones had to say on the injuries in his camp at the moment. Uh, look, I think you just have these runs. I don't think it's any, anything significant. Um, you have ups and downs in the game, and, and this just a, a timing that you've got a number of injuries. I think you know, potentially for the Lions players, you can understand that the injury risk is higher because of the lack of pre, proper pre-season they had, but obviously they're not all Lions players. So, Sai, it's a bit of a hot topic at the moment. What's your take on it as a whole, the issue? My take on it as a whole is rugby's not much fun to play, is it? Let's be honest, it's pretty brutal. You're you're battering these players. I talk to some of the medical staff who look at these things, and they say a lot of the times when players come off the field, they they have them in the treatment room, it's almost like they've been in a minor car collision. It's just ferocious out there. What we're seeing is more and more of these injuries with collisions now, um, especially at mall and ruck time players over the ball, players coming in to clear them out, or shoulder onto shoulder, or shoulder onto pectoral muscle. I said to you earlier, there's only one solution. Mm-hmm. Go back to the 1970s, a full-blown wreck in. Nobody goes in the deck, then nobody gets hurt. It's fine. <laughs> so obviously the England are favourites for the championship, despite what Eddie Jones tries to say. Um, I think it's widely accepted that they're the favourites going into this one. Um, is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, it was good fun all day today. Eddie has obviously said last week, and you know, everyone's writing his off. And he was asked by one press guy, he said, Where did you actually read that, Eddie? He said, Oh, I must be making it up then. He said, <laughs> he, Yeah, he was full of it. Uh, who's favourites for the Six Nations? That's a good question, isn't it? Um, it's got to be England, surely. Gatlin thinks it's Wales. Um, I'm sure he does, <laughs> but it's England, unfortunately. I think Ireland would be ticks and beating as well. Yeah. Let's not forget their record. They're a little bit under the radar coming to this championship, but and they are missing one or two people. Uh, I think Gatland summed it up quite nicely. He said, like, you know, this, it is one of those championships where anyone could beat anyone. And uh, I just think the fact that Wales have got those three games at home gives them a real good opportunity to go for it if they can beat Scotland. If they can beat Scotland, they're real title contenders. Yeah, England probably are Bookie's favourites. The fact that they're, you know, championship winners back to back, he's done a great job, but they are missing key men. It's a big chance for them to bring in new players as well, but I think it's going to be a really tight tournament. If you're really pushing me, I think I would probably edge towards Ireland to win it. But I think Wales got a decent chance as well, and obviously got England. And then Scotland are coming up in the rails. And Lord knows what's going to happen with France. We've been reading all these stuff that's going on <laughs> over there. I haven't got a clue what's been happening. We're used to French disarray, but even by their standards, what's going on in their offices of power are incredible. But they're probably going to win the Grand Slam now, aren't they? <laughs> probably. Um, with Wales going to Twickenham second, how important... Uh, do you think it is that they go there with confidence oh. and, and that they go there having beaten Scotland and, and performed well? Yeah, that first game is absolutely monumental. It sets the tone for the tournament, as Gatlin himself said. If you win that, you go in with self-belief and confidence, believing you can win the title, full of beans going to Twickenham. And if you go, if you don't win it, then you go there with a sense of desperation, you know, and pressure's on. 
Um, I think if Wales can win that, it would give. And they are a momentum side, Wales. We've seen that in the past. You know, once they get on a run, they're very hard to stop. And once they don't get on a run, they're hard to get going. And there's always this habitual thing with Wales, but the first game of a campaign, they're always a little bit uncooked. You know, there shouldn't really, you know, be so much of an issue with that on this front in terms of where the players are coming from. All too often in the Six Nations, you've had team the Wales coming in with their players, tails between their legs after really difficult and unsuccessful European campaigns. Well, that's not the case now. The Scarlets have been lighting up Europe. The Blues are through to the quarterfinals of the Challenge Cup. Ospreys actually, you know, some form in Europe that they hadn't been showing before. You've got a lot of players in the Welsh squad coming in with self-belief and form. There's not so much a reason or excuse why they shouldn't be able to hit the ground running. And of course, with so many Scarlets in that Wales team, as likely, if they don't play like that, or certainly play successful rugby, people will say, well, what can they do if the Scarlets are not for Wales? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it puts a bit of pressure on the Wales coaching team to bring the best out of players who the Scarlets coaches have been bringing and bringing the best out of. So over to you, Gats. <laughs> yeah, it does indeed. Before we move on, I just want to touch on this subject that reared its head before the squad was announced uh, sail back rower Sam Moore um, obviously came up through the age grades ranks uh, in England, still a young lad as well um, I wanted to get Eddie Jones's thoughts on Wales's pursuit of Moore um, but he didn't have much to say on it Eddie, what have you made of Wales's pursuit of sail member Sam Moore? Uh, I don't know man Does it bother you that Wales are looking at players? Uh, well I can't control what Wales does so so, what do you know about Sam Moore and what do you know about the situation as a whole? Well, what I know is Eddie Jones likes cricket and he gave you a real straight bat to that question, didn't he? Let's be honest. Like, you weren't going to give anything away. The situation is quite simple in a way. Is that, you know, Sam Moore is born in Cardiff. His father is uh, Steve Moore, ex Wales second row. His uncle is Andy Moore, ex Wales second row. Um, but at a young age, he um, um, moved to the uh, northwest, his father was involved, um, I think it's Waterloo Rugby Club, Steve Moore, and he's grown up in England, he's come up to the England age groups, um, under 17s, under 18s, under 19s, captain under 19s tournament in South Africa last year, he was outstanding, um, Wales, you know, they're the eyes open to him during that tournament, and uh, he's very much on their radar, we understand, we understand that he was, uh, approach was made, would you, be, would you consider being part of the autumn squad, when Wales were looking for development, it'd been ideal, unless remember they played Seb Davis in number eight, so they needed a young number eight, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's not carried away. He's played one game for sale. There's this huge amount of time. He's played one game. I saw, I saw all the furor about him. I said, oh, I wonder what his Aviva Premiership record was like. Went to have a look, and lo and behold. He ain't got one. Yeah. He ain't got one. He played one game. Um, but, the, you know, everyone who's seen him play at age grade says he's talent. Now, um, I think what we understand is that uh, he is still looking to keep his options open. He's been named to the England under 20 squad. He's going to carry on and take up that role. Um, that doesn't commit into England because that's not their capture team, so he can play in that. I think this will all come to head in the summer. I think Wales are almost certain to come back and uh, approach him again about possibly going on the tour of Argentina when a number of young players will get a chance. Uh, and I think he'll have to make his decision then. Um, it's up to the boy, isn't it? You know, you can understand both ways. He's got strong Welsh roots, but he's also grown up in England and be part of the England age group setup and knows those players he's played with. End of the day, it's up to him now, isn't it? Yeah. All right, then, moving on. We'll go to Ireland next. Uh, Wales will head to Dublin after Twickenham. Um, you've, you've tipped them as favourites. They always go into these tournaments there or thereabouts. And like you said, they're a little bit under the radar at the moment. Which is a, a surprise because they don't lose many matches, do they? Let's be yeah. fair. And they've got a new group of players coming through. I mean, I really like... Um, and I'm not sure I pronounced him fullback Jordan Lemur. I've got Lemur. Have you had a couple Lama. of different pr- pronunciations? I think it's Lama, if Lama. you're Welsh. Yeah. Lama. Lama for me. 
I like the look of him. Um, there's a huge amount of talent. There's also experience there, you know. Interesting one, of course, that's not involved is Tyke Byrne. Mm. Um, and I think we touched, I think he spoke about him today, didn't he? Uh, Eddie O'Sullivan, essentially, like that, you know, he, he's new and he wouldn't be available for all the camps. Um, I think Scarlet's fans are quite happy with the fact he's going to stay on board. I mean, you talk about the number of minutes people have played, he's played over a thousand minutes this season. It's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, but, the, you know, the fact that they can go in and not pick someone who's arguably been one of the players of Europe this season shows the strength they've got. Mm. Oh, they'll be a hard side to beat. Hard side to beat. Let's just run the clip then of what uh, was said about Tyburn in that press conference. Uh, here's what Joe Schmidt had to say on his situation. Yeah, it's a complex one when, when they're playing away from Ireland. Um, and he's committed to coming back to Munster next year, which is super. And we had a conversation at the start of the season about that happening. And we had uh, a really good conversation recently. I think the problem with Tiger is that you know, the, the Regulation 9 is a, is a camp week this week, but that's only a three-day camp. So if we take him to Spain, then you know, we're required to, to make him back available to Scarlets. He's played 1,350 minutes already this season. Our players don't usually play that much now. I had a great chat with Wayne Pivak as well. They've had injuries to Jake Ball and Lewis Rawlinson. So, you know, that happens in squads sometimes. And because he's so resilient and because he plays so well, um, I thought he was huge in the last two games and, and the two long game particularly. But but he uh, he's going to come in and visit us. And uh, and we'll get to catch up again. Ty, I've known him since he he was in Leinster, and uh, you know I think he's he's a really uh, committed young man as well. And uh, I I wouldn't rule them out uh, completely, but it it is complicated. It also means during the Six Nations, you know, just that that backwards and forwards it happens. So we we have those camp weeks or a regeneration week where, where players get a bit of a rest he's got to go back and be available to play for Scarlets and that intermittent uh, involvement with the squad when it's your first involvement particularly is is probably one of the things that just tipped the balance uh, away from him and, and the other thing that tipped the balance is I thought James Ryan was really good against Montpellier Ian Henderson is 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 playing big for Ulster. I thought he played big last week. Uh, Dev Toner has has carried really well for, for Leinster as well as his line-out acumen. Um, Quinn Rue has been a really physical contributor to uh, to the Connacht cause. And, and Alton Delan, his, his repeated uh, high-intensity game involvements have been really good as well. So, you know, when, when you stack that up and you've still got guys... Uh, you know, like Kieran Treadwell and, and Billy Holland, who, who are working hard, playing well um, in Ireland. You're always trying to get that balance right about selecting Tig with that intermittent involvement with those high game min- game minutes. Um, it, it it just is a little bit complicated, but that complication will cease at, at the end of the season, and and that may be a, an opportunity. So I got this sense from that as he was talking that it, he really wanted to pick him, but I think there was a sense that they couldn't just do away with the with the policy that they've got over there, even though they've done it in the past for yeah. people like Johnny Sexton. I think it would have been more accepted in Burns' case because he's made the commitment to go back to Ireland. You know, he's he's joining Munster next season apparently with a pay cut as well, which you know he's doing that because he wants to play for Ireland. Yeah. So I think they could have made a case for it. I, I, 
I think there was a feeling that that's the policy, we stick to it now, and look, he's available next season. And, you know, there were the added complications of his availability for all the camps and the amount of rugby he's played this season. So they've gone without him, but let's be honest, he's going to be a star, absolute star of the international stage. If he can transfer anything like his Scarlet's form into an island jersey from this summer and next season, then he's going to be, one of, he's going to be a worldie. It's kind of it's kind of like the um, the Owen Williams situation with Wales at the moment, isn't it? That what Ireland seem to be trying to do is avoid that situation where that the player is then released back to the to the Scarlet, so they're missing for a week. Then he comes back into camp. Then he goes missing for a week again. It is just it's tricky, and and as Schmidt pointed out, it's tricky especially when you don't have much international experience. That's a major issue. I've been chatting with Warren Gatlin just off the record about this whole issue after one of the press conferences today, and it is because you know you have to let them go back to their clubs you know and uh, it just makes such a difference in terms of the number of scores we talked about Ross Moriarty on this front last season didn't we but I think Robin McBride was saying he's going to miss maybe four or five of the sessions over the next six weeks and it impacts because you lose your momentum you lose your flow and if you're not there someone else has got the chance to put the name up in, in training so this is why there's a constant feeling that we need to try and get as many players as back in Wales as we can we're seeing it with George North coming back we're seeing it with Ross Moriarty joining the Dragons you know it is hugely beneficial to the Welsh setup to have the players playing here and obviously has the knock-on effect that our young kids get to see their heroes playing as well which is good for the you know development of rugby uh, so if you look at this season you've got you've got um, Owen Williams could not could count against him Josh Adams is the other one you know he's going to have to go back to Worcester although I would tell you I've been hearing good things about Josh Adams from my uh, Unnamed sources in the Wales management, well, not many, many of them years, you can probably guess. But uh, yeah, good things in this sense. They really like his attitude, really like it. He said he's, and they like the fact that he, it didn't work out from the Scarlets, went away, was apparently on the point of uh, going to play for Aberavon, working in the Steelers, I think. But just got the opportunity, uh, Worcester, went to play for Cinderford on loan, has just worked his way back up and has taken his chance at Worcester. And they, he's quick. They only recognise he's quick and they like his style. So I tell you what, everything I'm hearing about him, I wouldn't be surprised if he's very much in the running. Given the back three situation and the injuries, he might just get a go against Scotland. Mm. All right, then we move on in the Six Nations and Wales will welcome Italy uh, in their fourth match. Um, do you think Italy will feel like they owe Wales one after what happened last year? Obviously, I think Wales were, were down at half-time. They were, they were playing really poorly. And I, and I know Wales ran away with it in the end, and Conor O'Shea had some things to say about the officials after that one. But uh, do you think they'll, they'll feel like they need to give Wales one this year? I think there's a more general point about Italy. I mean, I've made, hands up, I've been right to the, the vanguard of questioning the value of the Italian teams in the Pro 12, as was, you know, because of their record in terms of the results and how, what limited they bring, uh, revenue they bring on a TV front, what did they bring? Well, you, you've got to say, hands up, this season, Treviso and Zebra have been different animals. Mm. Their results have been very impressive compared to previous records. Um, They've been winning games, they've been competitive. And the question is now, how much is that going to rub off to the Azuri, to the national team? Mm. Because obviously, still the majority of their squad is picked from those sides. I like also this uh, young flanker, Poledria to Gloucester, who's in the Italian setup. He's going to, he could be one of the players who will go for this season. Uh, yeah, I think Italy, there's a good chance of them uh, being a more forceful and more organised setup under Conor O'Shea. I think he's a, you know, a good rugby thinker. And they could be a handful. And the Benishna see last day game first up, I believe, is that England at home. Mm. And obviously, we've got all the uh, the ruck gate to go along with that one. The common theme today. Um, before we go on any further, Conor O'Shea um, was asked today if 
whether or not he thinks Italian fans and Italian rugby in general can afford to continue being patient and waiting for the development of Italian rugby to really kick into gear. And as Simon's just touched on, uh, the sides have been doing well in Pro 14 this year um, by previous year's standards. Um, And here's exactly how he responded to that question. Rather than coming from me, I'll let it come from the Welsh, the Scots and the Irish who six, eight months ago, the unions of the Pro 14 were looking at us saying you're not doing the right things. They've come in, they've ordered us, they've looked at what the two clubs are doing, they've looked at what we're doing underneath and we haven't signed it yet but we've agreed a long-term commitment uh, for the two franchises to the Pro 14. Eight months ago we were going to be down to one club. So that's them telling us that we're doing the right things. So Sai, it seems as though um, given all the uncertainty that was surrounding uh, Treviso at the start of the year that these Italian sides are going to be here to stay in the Pro 14 Yeah I think so um, I mean, you know, based on what they've done this season deservedly so, a lot of talk about where the competition is going, there's obviously the South Africans coming on board, you can talk possibly about American uh, impact but you know, at the moment the Italian teams are competitive what you would love to see I'd love to see is a kind of a growth in interest in the sport over there through that success. Um, it's a difficult one because football is absolute god in Italy, isn't it? Uh, but I, I do think that you know clearly they, the, the competition has decided it's got this kind of pan, con, you know, five countries now involved. Um, yes, I think they have done enough to deserve the continued inclusion, and I hope that they continue to be competitive and that it's not just a blip for this season. I was looking on with interest when Conor O'Shea took over over there, um, and he's really beginning to impress me. He impressed me at this this event last year, and this year he's come. He's speaking in in fairly broken Italian, but he's clearly trying to learn the language. And he always speaks with a lot of realism, a lot of sense. He says, "Look, if England play at their best and we play at our best, we lose." End of discussion. He's a realist, and he seems to be the right man in that position to take Italian rugby forward. To me, yeah, he's a bright man. He's an astute rugby thinker. Um, I always enjoy watching him as a player. He's a lot involved in the, uh, on the management side at Harlequins, and I think that he is just the kind of person to bring a kind of realism, but also ambition to Italian rugby. Um, this is a big championship for him. You know, he's been at his feet under the table for a little while now, and he will want to show the work he's done. Uh, which, which hopefully you think has had an impact on what's happened with the regional teams, with the, with the two teams. Let's see if it can have an impact now on the international front. OK, and we'll move on then. Finally, Wales will welcome France to the Principality Stadium in Cardiff on the final weekend, Super Saturday. Uh, let's hope it's super. Uh, I think there'll be the final game that day as well. Um, so we've touched on it just now. There's a lot of controversy going on in France at the moment. Bernard Laporte being investigated by police. You've got the Mathieu Bastereau. Um, Furor as well uh, being banned for the, the slur during the match against Treviso I believe um, we know what French rugby's like is it going to be easy for them to push that kind of thing to one side I, I never like to sort of take anything for granted with, with that lot right because I remember the I think it was the 2011 World Cup they were in absolute disarray falling apart on and off the field I think they were, they were sort of revolting in the dressing room, revolting on the field as well. They ended up getting to the final. <laughs> they are a, a nation like any other, like no other, that can sometimes thrive out of chaos. Um, now, they've got a new coach in place because um, they, they went down the route of um, the, the old Toulouse coach going with him. Years and years of success, Guy Noves, didn't work. Now we've gone to Jacques Brunel, isn't it? The uh, ex-Italy coach. 
we go chaos in the boardroom police raiding offices absolute carnage on and off the field Astero and they'll probably go and win the championship <laughs> uh, i tell you what I am looking forward to in all seriousness I'm looking forward to seeing if young Jalibert the fly half from Bordeaux-Beglaise gets a go because I've seen a few clips of him playing and he looks an absolutely wonderful talent 19 year old fly half He's been ripping defences apart. Um, they've, they've, they've chopped and changed their fly-off so much over the last 10 years. Hardly settled ever. It'd be nice to sort of show their faith in this guy and give him a few years because I think he's a special, special talent. Uh, Wales have got a fairly good record against France in Cardiff in recent years. And, and that kind of bodes well because if somehow Wales get to that f- final game and they're in, in with a shout or they're, they're at the top of the table and it's all in their hands... And they can be in a confident position going into that game against France. Yeah, they won't fear that game, certainly. Uh, Wales have done well against France in recent years. And obviously the thing is, you're a long way down the tournament by then. It, you know, things will have been put in place in terms of momentum. You always pick up injuries along the way. Um, but Wales in the past, when they have had successful campaigns, you look at um, 2008 and uh, 2012. Both of those games were sealed Grand Slams with victories over France, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So uh, France at home later in the tournament often coincides with very successful campaigns, less what was the case this time. Mm. Um, the French sides are doing well in Europe this year, but that doesn't always translate uh, up to the national side. We've seen it for the last few years. I mean, hugely successful in domestic, so in club European competitions, uh, but it hasn't been able to translate up to the national side. Is that just purely because that league is full of foreign players? There's quite a few of them, aren't there? Let's be <laughs> honest. And uh, even some of the players who've been playing for France in recent years have you know, not been born in France They've had because so many of the players have come through and gone through the eligibility route. Um, they've got three teams in the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup in uh, Clem Lafayne, La Rochelle and Toulon, which you know is uh, the most of any nation. So, you know, in, 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 and Racing Metro, you know... Uh, as well as four, isn't there? Four French teams in there, which is the biggest contingent of any nation. So, uh, on the face of it, they should be successful, really, shouldn't they? But as you say, so many of the key players in those teams aren't French qualified. So, mm. there's not really been a correlation between club success and international success. It's been barren years for the French, let's be honest now. It's been a few barren years. You've had, was it uh, Philippe uh, Saint André, you know, and uh, Guino Vez, and it's. Uh, it's just not happened for them, and they—they've become a sleeping giant of European rugby on the international stage. Oh, let's, hope it do, let's hope it doesn't wake up in the next eight weeks. Then, uh, before we wrap all this up, Silas, let's just rate Wales's chances of success. You, what? If you had to put a sort of percentage on it, where, where can you see Wales being successful throughout the championship? Where can you see them possibly tripping up? Um, the three home games are all winnable, which is a great starting point. They're going to win the three home games and pick up a win either in Twickenham or Dublin. That gives them a very realistic chance of winning the tournament. If they keep players fit, they'll have a very strong set-piece set um, scrum uh, situation. They also have an absolute go-to man in the line in Iron Shingler, one of the most improved players in most rugby the last couple of years. Has become one of the first names in that team sheet now, by the way. Um, and they also do have, they still do have, you know, top-class players in the back division. You know, you've got a great choice of scrum for the Reese Webb and Gareth Davis, both quality, quality players. Uh, there's, there's talent in midfield, the likes of Hadley Parks. Um, Owen Williams showed what he can do there as a second playmaker. You've got Scott Williams, you know, always a big player. And George North coming back. Uh, you've got Patchell, Anscombe, players on form. 
players on form. So there is the potential there to build in the confidence from the regions, take it into the tournament, and if they can get that win against Scotland, they can go all the way and be contenders for that title. If they don't get that win, it becomes a very, very different tournament. All right, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for joining us today, Si, and thanks to you guys for listening at home. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Head over there and search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Subscribe, like, rate us, and review us, and we really appreciate it. Of course, now it's just the countdown to the Six Nations begins. February the 3rd, Wales will kick off against Scotland in Cardiff, and you can follow all the build-up and, of course, all the live updates and analysis from that match on Wales Online. <laughs>